We can spit at you for what are you doing with face? You're wrong! That is some bad philosophy. Come on! Bad Philosophy, Episode 4, recorded on September 22nd, 2008. Ben Diagrams. We apologize for the sound quality. It totally did not turn out the way we thought it would. Sorry. Hello and welcome to Bad Philosophy. We're back for another episode and we've got a new panelist today. I am Stephen Torrance. Sitting next to me is Benjamin Brown. Hello. Say a little bit about yourself, Ben. I'm Benjamin Brown. I'm a senior engineering student who, uh, well, let's just say I aspire to greater things than designing drawbridges. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, across the table from me, we've got a couple of the regulars. Kevin Saunders. What, what? Yep, and Matt Legler wearing a Plantronics DSP 500 headset. Exactly, I love it. it you it don't say the not paying. This headset you do not over. say the title if they're not paying. I'm wearing a fancy headset, but you don't see me saying the name of the brand. I don't even know. <laughs> I'm not wearing a headset because I'm poor. No, um, I'm wearing this for a class. We're just podcasting for a class, I would say. We're trying out a little bit of a new audio configuration today, so uh, hopefully we'll be coming to you in stereo. We've got Kevin and, and stereo. <laughs> Kevin and Matt on individual headsets, and then Ben and I are on a Sennheiser shotgun microphone. Because you don't like to share. Yeah, we really don't. Now, shotgun microphones, for any of you who are AV savvy, <laughs> are usually used on camcorders, so it's a long, phallic, black microphone um, <laughs> pointing at us. Now imagine if we were sharing a, a directional mic. They do that at the radio station sometimes. And really? Sometimes when one of the microphones oh, that's breaks, cute, guys. all the nerds <laughs> doing the comic book show have to like hunt together. It's almost as if they're kissing. They're about to anyway. Oh my goodness. Well, on, on that uh, wonderfully homoerotic note, uh, let's get this show on the road. So today, we're talking sci-fi. Sci-fi philosophy. Can we, can we redefine sci-fi before we do any of that? Well, let's, let's define it in the first place. I don't think we've defined it at all. So well, That's why I want to redefine it. Go but ahead. Now, right. <laughs> well, okay, science fiction, I mean, that's your classic alien spaceships, stuff like that. That's what, that's what you think of when they say sci-fi. Sure. However, um, I don't know where this term came from, but I recently heard it used by um, author Neil Stephenson, author of things like um, Anathem, which I've not read yet. Cryptonomicon. Cryptonomicon. The, uh, the Baroque Cycle. All sorts of good stuff. Um... Yeah, but he recently started using this term instead of science fiction, of speculative fiction. Speculative. Um, yeah. Which same same you know SF same initials, so we can we can you know don't have to change too much. Well, because it's kind of more along the uh, sci-fi channels, you know, a little if. <laughs> yeah, yeah although I don't if. know how wrestling is science fiction. It's fiction, but anyway. um, yeah. yeah, yeah, there's lots of problems with the sci-fi channel. <laughs> but so it's a, it's a speculative. It's it's, it's, it's it's asking what if, what what yeah. would happen, what might have happened, what could happen. Um, and that actually, I think, ties together because you so often see, particularly in bookstores nowadays, um, science fiction and fantasy slapped together yes, in, in this always. thing that just seems wrong almost. I completely agree. I I, 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 I feel very strongly about having clear, well, not precisely, not necessarily clearly delineated separation, but you know, when people mistake sci-fi and, and uh, speculative fiction, that's a label I prefer, by the way. I much prefer that. But, you know, you're mixing your terms together. And so when you have people, you know, trying to find uh, Cushiel's dart as opposed to, you know, the, some, some awesome Highland, I mean, those people should be... You say awesome, awesome Highland as if some Highland isn't awesome. <laughs> <laughs> There's bad Highland. It exists. What? What is bad Highland? Oh, we the living. It's a turd. 
I don't read Evil Living. Okay. Well, Wait, no. For us, the living. For us, the living. For us, the living isn't a high level. I, I, I for us, the living is not a high level. I ran. I referenced Iron Rand. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I can't run. Um, but no, for us, the living is not a Highland book because it was not edited properly. It was rejected because it was a bad fiction, bad piece of work uh, early in his life. Well, Virginia didn't have anything to do with that, which is exactly. Because Virginia was the muse. Thank God for that one. Without her, you know, Highland would have been just a crazy man with silly ideas about any way to communicate them for the people. <laughs> Virginia Highland. But what? what, what I think you hit on a very interesting point. You can't find any books in a bookstore anymore. Nothing is in the right genre. Everything is just mixed up all over the place. Like, well, I disagree. I Which mean, is why I use Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> More Audible. What, what no Audible. And no, no, no. It's, if you're going to buy a new book, you go to Amazon. If you want old books, I love old bookstores. They're my favorite. You but they're, not spo- they're not supposed to be arranged properly. It's no. supposed to be about the hunt. Yeah, it's, it's a discovery experience. process. So you see yeah. other things on the way. It's like being the roller coaster to yes. the theme park. But mixing the hunt with watching a new book. I mean, you go to you, you go to a Barnes and Noble because you want a specific. Well, book. I don't go to Barnes and Noble. Well, anymore. so no. hypothetically, of course. Well, I worked there for three years. So that's, oh, that's so you have an understanding of this thing. Um, yeah, no, uh, Barnes and Noble is is known, and I'm I'm going to go on the record saying this. Um, uh, you're going to have to believe this, Stephen, just letting you know. Um, Barnes and Noble is known for great uh, customer service. That's what they're that's what they're good at. Uh, they pride themselves on it. They have customer service checks throughout the day. Um, but the policy of Barnes and Noble, and this is what I hated as, as an employee there, was taking up the ass from the consumer. Um, yeah. I gave, you, I gave you fair warning. <laughs> and I appreciate that. But it's one of these, these environments where their goal is to sell you books, not to be your friend, not to help you out, not to be a joyous book lover, but is to sell you books. And to do that, they will take it in uncomfortable places for you, like the back of a Volkswagen. For example, <laughs> um, to, to reference Kevin Smith. Um, hey, sorry, sorry, side rant on Barnes and Noble over. Well, yeah, I, I used to shop almost exclusively at Barnes and Noble for my science fiction books. And uh, let me tell you, the majority of that section was not science fiction. It was the enormous, enormous series. I mean, just an entire shelf of Piers Anthony, and and then the Drugs latest book. Yeah, the the latest in the in the. Uh, the Warcraft novelization cycles, <laughs> yes, and things of that nature. Warhammer. Those those go on together. Oh yes, and the Warhammer novels, yeah. which apparently are pretty good. <laughs> but I haven't. It's one of those. It's a relative term. Oh, yeah, it's good for a book based on a strategic board game. <laughs> I'm a proud Warhammer player. I'm not saying you're not. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you do. Fight, 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 fight. Are there great <laughs> stories that you tell in Warhammer? Oh. Um, Goodness gracious, in, in a way no other uh, uh, franchise I've ever seen, uh, Warhammer is excellent, excellent. Place. Okay, question in, in regards to that then. Are the stories you tell great because you're active in the telling process of them, or are they great independent of themselves? Oh, no. No, the point of Warhammer is not to tell stories. The point exactly. of Warhammer is to beat the living shit out of your opponent. I understand that. <laughs> I understand that. That's a good goal to have in certain situations. <laughs> but... That doesn't lend itself to. Oh no, it's not lines. narrative in the way like D and D, for example, yeah, or, or or a novel. But really, when when you're getting into, into the hobby of Warhammer, as opposed to the gaming aspect, having a little bit of appreciation for the fluff is wonderful. It gives it gives like uh, there, there's a modeling term in the Warhammer community called uh, conversion, and when you're looking to do a conversion, you're going to you know, alter the models to, to you know, build on them and sculpt new 
conditions. And when people want inspiration for conversion, where do they go? They go to the fluff, the Wonder of Fluff. There, this is a 30-year-old fantasy franchise and science fiction franchise, which, well, it's beautiful. It's, it, it has its macabre darkness and, and its silliness, and it's all perfect. And you know, I've been I've been submerged in this since I was a young boy, and I find it to be excellent. Nerd. Yes. Soundbite. Well, what I really wanted to get into was sort of uh, some of the philosophical issues that we might have come up in, in various uh, science fiction or speculative fiction works across the years. Um, obviously, I'm just trying to think of a few off the top of my head, but they've touched on, on issues of, of humanity from across the spectrum. I mean, oppression, uh, existentialism, the the question, the philosophy of mind, the question, is there a soul or not? Uh, speculative fiction. Yeah, you your wonderful transhumanist themes as well, yes. which are what I specialize in. But yeah, there's yeah. so much to be addressed in it. And I'll tell you, like the reason I read any sci-fi beyond watch, you know, the reason I enjoy sci-fi beyond watching Star Trek is because of the way it can address philosophy. And it does so in a way that I don't think any other genre is capable of. I don't really? think fantasy can do it. I don't even think literature can do it. Hmm. Because they're too bound by the by the laws of our current existence. Only speculative fiction has the power to create, you know, the emergencies that you can you know, define and examine with your philosophy. Impossible situations. That was more impossible, but situations that are so outstanding that it makes it them worthwhile to analyze from an alien point of view. I mean, if you have a story that's taking place in a normal conditioned situation of life, you know, there, there's you, you are set. Our minds will not, you know, we cannot leap to, to new levels of <coughs> philosophical bankery when we're just thinking about going to the grocery store. Okay. I love it. That's all we're doing is, is philosophical banking. Okay, question. Uh, I think it doesn't do that, so I'll be quick. Um, you said speculative fiction is the only one that can do that. Is something that does that in another genre thus become speculative fiction? No. If, if I've got no. a Western that evaluates, and Western used to be big books, like there used to be entire sections devoted to them at Barnes and Noble. Uh, that has since changed. But if Westerns, you know, if a Western reevaluates the nature of life, reality, what have you, in a speculative manner, does it become speculative fiction? A genre comes with its own limitations as to what it can mm. address built in. You cannot mm. explore transhumanism or extropian philosophy in a Western. It is <laughs> You're talking to a writer here, sir. I, um, I challenge you to do it in a way that is not so jarring as, as to create, you know, the, 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 you'll, you'll be doing two things at the same time. You know, that, that'll be too much chaos and too much conflict going on. You, you cannot let a genre tie you down. A genre is a label. It is not a set of rules. A genre was originally meant, at least in my opinion, should be meant to be a descriptive terminology, to give you some idea of what to expect. You can't set to write specifically in a certain genre, or else you're going to be tied down by that. You're going to be tied to these things. You say only well, this is not to say that, that there are you know a set of conditions for each genre. That's what you said. No, it is to say that there is there is an area in in Egan space. You know, if you if you if you say graph, you know, this is this is a science this is science fiction genre and you know, your your three dimensional plot, you know, yeah, it's a fuzzy boundary. I mean you you, you could, you know, be along the boundary and it's like, eh, it's not quite a western, but you're still addressing, you know, what our philosophy topic happens with. Let's just say for this uh, point that it's extropianism. You know, it's a word I don't know. <laughs> yeah, define extropianism. <laughs> well, extropianism 
entropy as opposed to entropy. Uh, uh, it's kind of a uh, once again more big words. I don't know. It's 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 a it's a uh, <laughs> it's transhumanism, but it's a more fancy way of addressing the cult. Transhumanism. transhumanism is a broader label. That totally narrows it down. Yeah, you're yeah. yourself. <laughs> I, 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 I the Let's start with transhumanism. What's, what's <laughs> transhumanism? Oh, this, you guys will like this. This is a philosophy. This, this, <laughs> transhumanism is the idea of, of you know, you have the malleability of the human condition. And the perfect, well, not perfectibility, but the, the idea that you can improve humanity through technology. And I'm not just talking about, you know, making a new gadget. I'm talking about directly improving ourselves, improving our minds and improving our bodies genetically, uh, uh, with computers, computationally, and, and things of that nature. The, the boundless, uh, uh, I mean, the, there, there's, a, there's a quote, and I forgot who said this, but to engineer is human. And we, we are not defined by what we are, but what we can be because our minds have the capability of you know, going to that, you know, that, that theoretical realm where we can you know, draw and, and use this knowledge and new ideas to improve ourselves. Transhumanism is the idea that doing these things is good, and because they're good, we should you know, study them and want to do them. This is as opposed to as opposed to you know Buddhism, which is the idea that you know humans reach some kind of apex of philosophical perfection uh, by by avoiding technology. I mean, they are polar opposites. There are places in the middle, of course. But I, I I'm an extremist, and I think that I want to become I want to become a cyborg. And, and, well, that's being a little ridiculous, but... Our bodies, our cells, our cybernetic arms. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, human bodies are robots. We're made of cells. We're made of man, machine, automaton. And there's no fundamental difference between life and machine. So, why so not? there's no mm -hmm. difference between you and computer right here. Not on a fundamental level. There's no binary, I'm different from the computer. There's no physical law that says that. We're just physical systems. There's a lot of physical laws we don't understand. Physical laws can't explain the difference that we would label as what is different between Let's say you have a soul. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's um, if if we take that that I have a soul, you're defining me into a position that I can't escape from. Because uh, I don't believe. <clears throat> so if you accept that premise, you basically yeah yeah you're you're you basically you're just, yeah. I mean, you, you could be a transhumanist and, and believe in souls and things, but but it would depend how you define soul. Yeah. <laughs> of course, it always gets down to uh, you know, how we talk about. How we use our labels. Of course, definitions doesn't affect reality. That's an important thing to keep in mind. Like, you can define something a certain way, but it doesn't affect what it actually is. So, well, we're talking about a philosophy, it kind of is, because okay. philosophy is a human construct. No, but it's a matter of relations. The relationship is the same no matter what. But relationship is a human idea. No, I think relationships exist outside of things. That cup is on this table. Is that my human idea? Is that a relationship or is that a fact? That's a way the, that the, we The fact is that. There is an object, and there is another object, and they are next to each other. That's a, yeah, that's that's a way of relating relation. Yeah. Well, no, no. The, 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 the nearness actually is subjective. You have to say that the distance, that there is zero distance separating them. There, on the, there is a, a physical interface between the two. But there is some sort of relationship or lack of relationship. And it exists because you have to learn how to how to find things in a, in a value neutral way. I think and that's the trouble. Well, there's no value judgment. Are those two things near each other? Nearness is a, is a, is a judgment. I, it's not a value judgment. Let me put it it's this not a value, way. but it is a judgment. It, it's, and I think it's a, it's a relative judgment, though, in this sense. Say you are an ant, um, and I put this cup, say, near the gumball. 
Now, an ant would go, exactly. those aren't very close to each other. You know, I have to I have to walk a ways to get from one to the other. But for us, I mean, they're, they're practically right next to each other. Now, take that into, you know, orders of magnitude greater. For a microbe, that gumball and that cup might as well be thousands of miles away from each other. <laughs> and if we're talking about, like, physical... Uh, but they are. They do designate a certain amount of space between the two. There is that exists. Yes, Whether sure. you call it big, little, small, different, that relationship exists. But that, that, but saying that there is space in between the table and the cup is not informative because there will always be space between the table. And the yeah, cup. even what if even not? Yeah, the cup no, is the table right well, next. Yes, yeah. if you want to get specific and stupid about it, yes. Well, yeah. well, we um, have to be specific. And like for instance, <laughs> no, I, we don't. Nothing ever. Me. Nothing ever touches anything else. I can't touch yeah, the and table. Yet, and yet we use the fact, and yet Matt is not touching me no, right now. I'm not touching you at all. And nope. yet, this relationship between us affects things. Whether I'm physically touching him, that relationship exists to the point that it affects reality and how people respond to reality and what happens in reality. Yes, I can't throw a gumball across the room. Does it change the fact that I did? Because I can't touch that gumball. I can't touch the room. The gumball can't touch the walls that it just hit. How... Okay, we can't touch anything. Yeah, I'm a pretty heavy reductionist, so you got to be careful. Oh, see, I, it's actually the same philosoph- philosophical yeah. side I fall down on. Um, we actually like making stuff up. Uh, mm-hmm. Episode one was the philosophy of mind episode, so we'll try not to go down that oh rabbit hole. You tempt me, sir. I want to go there. Yeah. Um, right here. But getting back to the the speculative philosophy, Kevin, you brought up an interesting question that I don't think we've addressed really. And is that, can any other genre do the things that speculative philosophy can? Can it, are, you know, this was, uh, speculative fiction, sorry, speculative philosophy would be a very different thing. It would. Um, because speculative oh. fiction, um, at least the backlog we have of it, seems to be a pretty coherent genre. Now, you know, granted you have, say, Firefly, that mixes Western and speculative fiction in the same show. Um, it manages to do some incredible things with it, but we've had because some it, some other um, attempts to mix genres that have resulted in disaster. Now, is it is it something intrinsic about the speculative fiction approach, or is it just something more general, perhaps? I don't I don't think there's something. Well, the thing is, and the question that, that I brought up was, you know, if something attempts to be creative and philosophical without using a set or setting of what we think of as traditional SF. Mm-hmm. Does it become speculative fiction? Is it speculating about the nature of reality, the nature of people, the way things work, the way people are? You could do that in any genre. You can ponder those sorts of things in any genre. Uh, there's a great play um, by Sam Shepard called True West, um, which is a Western, or he calls it a Western. It takes place in somebody's kitchen with two brothers. Like those are the main characters. Mm-hmm. But it is a Western. Because, because of the, the themes that you use and what it talks about, the way it looks at life, it's a quote-unquote modern Western. Is it not a Western Western because it doesn't take place in the, in, in the West, in, in you know, the cowboys and stuff? Precisely. Is it not speculative fiction because it doesn't deal with aliens and robots and tigers? But that's just it. Speculative fiction is not about aliens and space. Well, no, but that's what I'm saying. Is That's why I asked you that question. If it, if it takes place in another genre, does it become speculative fiction? Yes. Speculative fiction, that that label can be be given to something irrespective of of plot or setting. It's about the content of a book. And if it has that content specifically, the content is philosophizing about about humanity and the future of humanity and technology. 
technology well, the past philosophy. We can speculate quite a bit about the past because we have limited records in, of everything. It's about the past. Well, Stargate is speculative fiction that takes place speculating about the past. So <laughs> I would yeah. I would hesitate to call Stargate. And, and hey, Star Wars galaxy far far, far away, a long time, time ago. So that's definitely the, the, the difference. I want to uh, elucidate and put, put forth is that you know sci- uh, there's sci-fi, which is a horrible label, but that is about aliens and spaceships and time travelers and things like that. Speculative fiction. Is about the ideas, not the plot, but the ideas that they're you know, going through. So, should we actually draw a new genre up here? Should we should we try to separate sci-fi into kind of uh, low-end uh, '60s horrible uh, mystery science theater fodder from the speculative fiction? Uh, some of these these more recent things, uh, Anathema. And, uh, so this is this is what I'm talking about, though. Genres should not be used to dis- to to separate and to, to codify and to Put things together. Genres should be used to describe and and explain and demonstrate, but you can't use it. You can't say no, that's that's, well, that's this is this is that's a, philosoph- that's a philosophical position. You're on bad philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> you people. Yeah, I'm just gonna leave. <laughs> we'll miss you. You're wrong. <laughs> well, no, that's bad I apologize for. <laughs> no, but, but no, what I'm saying, though, is I don't like it when when we say that this is a particular genre, thus it X's out all of these other possibilities. It can't be this because it's a Western, because it's a romance. Ah, uh, yes. Well, I'll say that it's not important to me what the genre something is when I read it and enjoy it. But for the sake of argument, I think that it must be clearly understood that if something addresses certain topics, then it follows under the umbrella. Why does that have to be understood? Is it good or bad either way? There's no moral judgment I'm making. I'm just saying. If it talks about, you know, musing about, about humanity and the future, then it's speculative fiction. Okay. But that, that, that accomplishes nothing to say that. No, it doesn't. The, that, that doesn't it's just, it's just it is merely a function of labeling things so that other people who are strangers can know what the hell is going on. Yeah. And I mean, we're we're naturally. It works. Sorry, I just want to apologize that I had to check out, but I'm back full force ready to go. That's what okay. the was for to research. That's, I, I was thinking about that. I should have done the plot instead. <laughs> All right, well, I took care of it. Okay, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no, well, so what I'm what I'm, I'm hearing here is is we're still kind of trying. To, we're stuck on the definition. We're still trying to get past. I mean, we're we're naturally taxonomic creatures, which means we we naturally break things down into categories and classes. I mean, hell, look at biology. Look at our everyday life. I mean, our paper is broken up into categories. We we have you know, categories for knowledge, categories for everything, classes and, and divisions. But there there don't have to be divisions. Because, um, like you said, you can't exclude some good things if you make divisions. What they are, though, is a this is at least such and so. This, is a, you know, the sports section will contain at least sports, and it may contain stuff that goes into different other things. Speculative fiction is at least speculative fiction, but it might contain elements of westerns or uh, romance or whatever. So, to define to define speculative fiction, I think using Excluding other things is going to be an exercise of futility because we don't want to do that. That's what I'm saying. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> would you agree, Ben? Okay. Thumbs up. Um, so I, I guess we should get on to, to some more fun stuff. Like, what are which one's kind of on that? 
what are some yeah what are some uh, some philosophical speculative fiction examples that y'all can think of that uh, just leap to mind? I don't, I don't know. I've, you've probably read this. Have you read Anathem yet? I've not gotten around to it. Okay, I finished it a couple of days ago. Oh. That is probably the standard bearer of the genre of speculative fiction. I've got to say, I have not enjoyed a sentencing book more ever. So give us a brief synopsis. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> or just, or just, just why, do I dare plot spoil? Don't spoil. I want to read. Well, the. I can't really say very much though without. I'm still working through the Baroque cycle, so I don't think so. Yeah. Anyway, the the story of Anathem takes place on a different planet, populated <laughs> by beings who are people. But yeah, it's just a bunch of people, and the planet is called Ar. And on this planet, there is a a very interesting social system to where there's what uh, is called the secular world with an A. In it. Uh, where basically it's people like us. We live in a technological world. We do our thing. We build technology. We have wars. We read books and listen to music. And that's the secular world. But uh, also, separated from the secular world is what is called the mathic world, which is a series of almost uh, monasteries where people go. And they completely seclude themselves in these monasteries for periods of time ranging from one year Ten years to even a hundred years, and they do not leave during these time periods. And uh, when a person joins what is a math, these people learn, and they live without technology uh, as best as they can, subject to a plot and things like that. But uh, basically, you have a whole—it's an entire world of university philosophy and science and math students yeah. hanging out and sweeping floors and. Singing in choirs and ringing bells, and generally being a lot like a Jesuit. So, who supports the society? It's self-supporting. How? Self-supporting. Uh, <laughs> well, there, there's the social stigma of them interacting with the secular world, and the secular world knows better than to touch them for reasons that become clear. But uh, and uh, Stephenson uses this book not only to tell a story. Uh, you know about these people, but uh, also to do two more things. He, he uh, will do one more thing. He, he really heavily addresses the philosophy of science and nature of knowledge, and a lot of philosophy of mind in this book. In fact, uh, these the characters in the maths actually frequently uh, get into long discussions about the nature of knowledge and, and how you can know things. And the wonderful part about this book is that Stephenson invents a whole new series of words, a whole lexicography. Of ways to describe these things. So when we talk about the, the you know uh, technology and things we do with that, he uses the word praxis. So praxic ideas are, are technology. The praxic world is the world that uses technology. And so also when we think of say the world of ideas, you know, from which we draw you know uh, uh, Platonic forms and things, they talk about the highly theoric realm and, and things like that. It's delightful. Not only is it a fun story, but it's just a crazy brain exercise thinking about all these things. <laughs> My synopsis was crazy. I was sublimely entertained for nearly a week. Oh, I cannot recommend this book enough. So, I don't know where to throw this out there because my mic was good earlier, but I wanted to say this. But you referenced um, the, the fact that literature is taught in schools. but that, So, I was wondering, are students missing out because... 
the whole realm of science fiction is not addressed? Or is there enough literature that y'all were saying spills over into science fiction that the same issues are addressed in a way that's just coded differently, like with a different, you know, paint around the outside of the gum mold? Like, they're still getting the same ideas, but it's a different type of candy. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's the gumball sitting right here in front of me. Yeah. Um, it's not even gumball. It's an interesting question. No, they're not gumballs. You get my question, right? I get your question. Um, it's, it's a very interesting idea. Um, you know, should, should we teach speculative fiction in schools? Should that be something that we could, we could teach in schools even? Hell yeah. Well, and or <laughs> is it being taught just as literature but are the same hype? Being well, because well, I mean, you know, the the I mean, speculative fiction. I'm not saying isn't taught in schools. I didn't go to school, so I, I don't know these things. Um, but I mean, there's there are a lot of classic literary works that deal with that, that would I think qualify as speculative fiction that are taught in schools. Uh, things like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, The Nature of Life. I mean, that was that's that's a very speculative book in that it's, it deals and. and in my opinion, falls under the category of sci-fi as well as speculative fiction. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, I, I would say like that speculative things that we would consider speculative fiction are taught in schools. I, I know I, I had to read Frankenstein. I even read Andrew's Game in my school, so I mean, I, I consider myself blessed. But <laughs> uh, in any case, I digress. Uh, the trouble is, is that, not, that's okay. You can do that. Digression is part of the game. Did Alan tell him about the Reddit trails? No, I guess not. <laughs> Anywho, uh, what I was going to say is. Uh, I think it'd be wonderful if they would teach more, but it's not up to us. And the trouble is that the this this world that we live in has a culture about reading, and the culture seems to be that you know uh, people who uh, teach literature grow up and are taught in this culture, and it's self-perpetuating. And the reason you know uh, why certain books are are taught and why certain books are assigned. Generally, I see it, it doesn't have anything to do with the merits of the book. It's about the personal tastes of the culture of people who are involved in teaching. So, well, like something like Macbeth, where where would you place that? Macbeth. That's just you know regular old Shakespearean wankery. Wankery. I like the oh, way you know, You have severely offended the theatrical person in the room. Uh, <laughs> wankery is not meant. No, I get, I get, no, I get what you say. I get what you, I get what you're saying. But Shakespeare was popular, popular culture. I will not disagree with you. That being said, that does not mean we have things that are in popular culture now that can be useful to society and speculative and, and things that you gain knowledge from. Just because it's popular, just because it's easy, does not mean it's not useful or worthwhile. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And, and that's, that's not what you said. I just not understood you to say. No, so, I, 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 I just I throw around terms like that because I'm a contrarian and I, I like to be, uh, you know, uh, I like, I like to cause trouble, but well, I, I don't actually. I know the feeling. I don't. I don't mean to cause trouble, but I like putting on the appearance that I like to cause trouble. Uh, it's a mindset that I enjoy. But no, I, but that's that's an idea that actually I, I brought up without meaning to. Is does I mean do we we ignore the things that could be potentially really exciting and interesting psychofiction because of the content? Of course. Mm, oh, yeah. And that happens with every single genre, and it doesn't even happen in school. I ignore plenty of things all the time because they're louder, brighter, more colorful, more stinky things out there get my attention. We, have, we, we have, live in a world of stimulus, and the thing that stimulates us the most. Oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm saying something, something even different than that. Um, the example I'm going to use is the movie Napoleon Dynamite. Ah, yes. Okay, uh, okay right. First reactions are, are, are key here. Yeah. Okay, Napoleon Dynamite came out in what, 2000? Mm-hmm. 
And it was an indie film, not even saw it once. Like it, was, it kind of made the circuits, you know, it was around. It got a lot of critical came very something very different, very weird, very interesting. And then it hit the open market. It hit the wide open market, and everybody loved it. Yep, you had Vote for Pedro t-shirts. Well, you it was had, once the pins came out. Oh my god, yeah. I, you I had probably the had the entire had, movie quoted to me before I ever saw it. Exactly, you had this sort of thing happening, and that had this very this very negative connotation. I don't know about for everybody else, but for me. I don't, I'm, I'm a bit of an elitist and I don't like the popular ideas. Like, that's something that I, I always seem to shirk against by the mix. Um, and so, the point I went, I came to hate. Whereas, the first time I saw it, I enjoyed it. Uh, when it wasn't a big thing. But I came to hate it, and I was like, oh, this is, this is horrible. It's, it's nonstop. It's, it's uh, being inundated with it. It's, it's, it's just stupid now. It's not funny anymore. It's stupid. Right. But I think that it's since, since passed on. And I was sitting in my apartment recently. Um, and when my roommate was there, and the movie was on Comedy Central, and I'm like, oh, this movie, and he's like, no, I used to think that, but like, actually, you sit down, don't worry about what other people were saying about it. It's actually, you know, worthy of the praise that it got originally. Well, I don't think most people uh, participate in, in art and media like this for the sake of the art and media that they're consuming. I think most of the time, for most people, even me to a degree, who am I kidding? I do it too. I, 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 think, I think that we choose the art that we enjoy. Not based on its goodness or badness, but on we want to affiliate ourselves with a certain culture, with a certain group of people. I mean, the reason a lot of us stick in the nerd ghetto is because we, you know, are nerds, and we get a lot of benefit, uh, subjective well-being, out of our self-affiliation. And that's why jocks keep with sports. That's that's why a lot of people do ever. That's why we do anything because not just because of the thing itself, but because of what we're signaling. In, in participating in this culture to other people in this culture. But I hate that. That bothers me. It bothers me. I do too. I do I want to be an individualist. And, you know, it, we are, having a philosophical position is about always moving towards what you want and what you think is right. But we can't escape that. It's just no, we can't get away from the relationship. Because the relationship's real. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. No, I agree. I completely agree. We're we're communal creatures. Uh, as human beings, we have to associate with something or someone else. We cannot be completely on our own, loners, doing our own thing because we, we we just can't function that way. I mean, the people who do that are the ones who go crazy and jump off bridges. But humans are charcoal briquettes. They go out if they by themselves. Okay, that's a good, that's a, that's that's a a good point. Yeah, we need to get some charcoal in here and test this theory. I want to see how, like, I want to see, I, I've never lit a single charcoal briquette. I'm pretty oh, so sure I don't, we get arrested for that. Using your consequences. <laughs> you know, I you guys have your computer, so you can probably bring a video. I have never seen a single charcoal briquette. Yeah, lit. yeah, Matt, where's your, where's your charcoal brick application for the iPhone? Oh, I did not, <laughs> I did not sync that one with my phone before. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like, though, I, I want to do that. I want to go, like, buy one charcoal briquette, put a little, little conveyor belt. I just want one, please. <laughs> so you like break open a bag yeah. and just pull yeah. out one. I just need one. I'm, just, I'm doing an experiment. It's okay. I don't need the whole bag. I'm not real very often. You would piss off a lot of people. <laughs> what do you think I do? <laughs> what do you think I do? Oh my goodness! But no, but that is a good point that we, we were making originally. Is that is that we interact with each other and the relationships we have affect so much of what we do. That it can't be ignored, but I, I think 
I wonder how much of that is is chosen or is forced upon us. Could someone go out there and force upon them, force force being individual, individual upon themselves and say, you know what, I'm not going to make decisions based on popular things. We, we try to say this all the time, but how often does that happen? How often oh. do, you, do, you, do you try and be counterculture, and then you join a counterculture group? Exactly. Like, we have counterculture groups. Like, all of those groups, the lost generation, became a group because they were fighting against the people that they were fighting against. Yeah. Well, because our whole political system gears us towards this. You know, we're based on a pluralistic democracy where people have to be involved with a special interest group yes. in order to get their voice heard because by themselves, that one briquette's not going to cook anything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, very tiny control. Just because yeah. of the way our country's structured, it's not our country. It's it's the, it's a problem, or it's a it's a design it's feature. It's a design feature. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it is. I, I I would argue that. And as a reductionist, I think that's it, it's big. it's not society forcing things on us. It's us creating society, and that society being geared towards the things that we subject uh, subconsciously desire. But can we change that? No. No. Not I think that's changing the way our brains work. Yeah, that's which I think we can do. We'll see. See, I, I think, because I've, I've seen it happen, not in an individual standpoint, but I've seen changes in the way society works over time. And no, you haven't. You've seen, you've seen outward changes, but the inner reality isn't changing. Our brain, our neural architecture, is pretty much unchanged, and it can't change. So if it's You're saying you just said we could change. If it, so if it's possible to change, why haven't we changed? Because we don't have the technology yet. See, you show me where you can have your brain rewired. See, I, and, but, and I, I'll be a very happy man, and I'll thank you from the bottom of my heart. Who's, who's to say that, I mean, I, I'm, I'm making an assumption you don't want to ask. Are you an evolutionist? An evolutionist? Follow me on this. I come disagree with, me on this. with come the with terms. Me but I would, yeah, I Do you subscribe to the theory of evolution? That, which, that one, which one? Uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's a tricky okay, question. That's a big question. Okay, okay, are over you, time, okay evolution is real. But but your 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 question is whether I believe in biological evolution. Yes, that's okay. not a matter of belief. I don't believe. Well, okay, that, that's, yeah. okay, fair enough. That's not that's not the point. I make. That's, okay. a, that's a precursor question. Okay, okay. That, that that through generational mutations, gaps, things over time, people change. Society changes. Well, so biologically, are you talking like bio, no, following? Okay. Biologically, <laughs> things change generationally. Yes, it's slow. Yes, it does. Yes, it's, it's hard to notice. Yes, we haven't seen much of it. I mean, we have seen much of it. We haven't seen much of it in ourselves. Maybe it's because we can't notice it in ourselves. But who's to say that we haven't been rewriting the way we work? You know how long the time scales involved for changing our neural architecture would be? No. Oh, I don't. <laughs> oh, well, well, well let, me, let me tell you. Yeah. We, oh, goodness. There's, there's a lot of covers ground here. Yeah. Okay. What it takes for the human body plan, you know, the, the general aggregate body form, to be maintained is a very, very steep selection curve. I'm talking that one in eight human beings ever conceived or born or whatever, those are the ones who stay alive. But the, the thing to know is that, I mean, th think of this in terms of computation. A gene is basically like a bit, all right? And for one bit, for that one change to, to sweep through the entire population, one change would take so many generations, it would be ridiculous. Yes. We will we will not see human evolution on the grand scale that, that I think you're thinking of in in this epoch. I'm not I'm not saying necessarily a grand sweeping change. We have genetic mutations all the time. There are there are 
a lot of genes I couldn't get to a number. But they don't persist. They don't persist through generations. No, they don't. No, and they don't. But just because a gene changes doesn't mean a trait changes. But it doesn't mean a trait changes. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean it doesn't change. Does it? What are you talking about? If a gene change, a gene change could potentially change the way something else works. Not dramatically, not drastically. A gene shift is unlikely. Okay, a big chunk of gene change. That that helps my what I'm trying okay, to say. Okay, well that just makes it, it even longer. Yeah, but, but no, it it's longer than coherent though. But I'm I'm saying, but random factor six billion of us in the world. Who's to say that someone's brain, someone's brain doesn't work differently? That we haven't seen these things happening. Well, we yeah, all, right? all our brains work differently. We're different individuals. And yet but, you've said we but, have a societal but, but, that comes out. Of yes, it. but but the thing is that it doesn't. One gene will not change this, and it's not even a function of genes. I'm sorry, guys, but I just have. If you want me to talk about this, there's just a lot of a lot of room I have to cover about evolution and how it works, and genetics and how things are, are expressed genetically as as the human body grows. Okay, then back off of that. Yeah, because uh, if we if we don't want to do that, that's fine. I okay, because I can I can take hours on. But people have, people have and will. But what I'm saying though is there are what I'm saying at the very basic level is there are differences among people. Yes. Those differences, people who have differences can get to have the same differences, if you will, or similar differences, can get together and affect something differently than a different group of people would. Okay. Which can lead to societal change. So basically, what you're saying is that because a bunch of people with autism get together and hang out, then they're going to change the rest of us. <laughs> no, I'm saying. Because autism is actually a situation where what is probably a genetic mutation in a, in a large number of people causes them to think in a different way. I'm saying it could. So humans are resistant to change. We are. I'm saying, well, I'm we saying also could. Here's the, I'm here's saying the those things could happen because that's what happens. We, well, we they, get a group they, of people they together. They can't change us. Even if the they can't change us, but they can change the way society works, the way we respond to things. Not maybe on an individualistic basis, but we, we don't use racial epithets anymore. Is that a societal oh. thing? Maybe you don't. <laughs> we as a society view it as wrong, and so on the whole, our society promotes this opinion and this appearance. I don't know. Was that my grandma was not part of society? It was an example. <laughs> She's but not no, part of changed behaviors society. over time. She watches we as a society have changed our behavior. That's, that's, that's about memes and, and, and yeah. the meta transfer between that that is, it is still happening. That's not a fundamental. See, that's not a fundamental change in our wiring. Yeah, that's yeah. that's not I'm a not fundamental. Saying it is. That's, so that's, like, that's not hardware. That's software. But the software affects what you run and how you change it. And if you have different software, you change the software. Society's going to act differently. So saying you can't have grand societal changes doesn't mean. I mean, that, that's, that's again what you just said. Well, it's societal changes versus genetic species. The genetic was a bad example. Let's get away from that. It yeah. was a bad example. You've proven me wrong. But I think they're separable. They really are. I mean, if we're talking so about... How, so can you... Human beings are, are a tripart system. We are the expression of our genes. Okay? We are what is... We are the contents of our mind, the memes, the memes set. But there's a lot of other things. We're also... Uh, we have technology... And we evolve technologically. Technology, you know, switches uh, is transferred between people in a, in a, in a, uh, in a epidemiological style pattern. But just because genes change doesn't mean humanity changes. Just because the ideas change doesn't mean we change. change. Talking about changing humanity, I think, is a little too abstract for me, which is yeah. why I'm so flustered and having such a hard time. I apologize. <laughs> Because it's a topic that I must frankly say is a little ridiculous. Yeah. Until 
we achieve transceiver bliss and can rewire ourselves at will. Exactly. I mean, up up until that point, it's all up for grabs. I mean, yeah. it, we we won't be able to really steer it for a long time. Um, Just because it's not being. I forget how we got on this. Rabbit trail. Anyway, we're saying cultures change. Yes, I think I'm saying cultures can change. Yes. And, and I'm saying just because cultures do or don't change doesn't doesn't require that humanity changes on a different scale. I will grant that. But those cultural changes do have an effect on people individualistically, which is where we started with this. Right. Um, and the whole reason why we choose groups, one group over another. Yes. We're all alone together. We yeah. are. Yeah. That's very true. That's cute. But it's it's one of those things that but because of because of that we can change the group. And I would like to see someone or a group of someone's attempt to break out of these groups that they've created for themselves. And form a new group. No, not not even form a new group. But I, I what a person like that even last though. I mean so, someone who really has no group whatsoever. People no one do exist. They're no called, one, they're called antisocials. Or psychopaths. Psychopaths, yeah, we, we call them crazy. And they, 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 are, they, are, bad they are shunned by society because, because they, don't, they don't have a group. It's bad for them. Because they, they, <laughs> they can't function. We don't, we, we're not compatible. I'm not saying that you have to eschew all groups. I'm saying that you don't need to associate, and I, I, not associate, identify yourself as a member of a group to exist in a group or to be functional. But in, society, in that case, but we your identity is still functional. Of group affiliation, yes. because you choose to define yourself in opposition to a group. Uh, it's not, it's not cannot, in opposition. We cannot escape this this it is heuristic of the human mind. We can't. Not without you know radically doing weird, funny things uh, to everyone. It's because it's like in order to be outside of every set, you must be in the set. That is outside every set, <laughs> so it's it's one well, of those. Know, I'm, uh, saying, I'm, I'm not things. saying that you, you can't do these diagrams. Venn diagrams, woo! Um, or Venn diagrams. Oh, expand on parts. Title. The idea is is that I would like to see someone who is not trying to be in opposition to a group, is not trying to be a member of a specific group, is not identifying themselves with a group. But is existing for themselves, choosing what they like, why they like it, for whatever reasons it may be, being with the people that they like, not because of the group affiliation. I like nerds because I'm a nerd. I like jocks because I'm a jock. That happens. But that, that's, that's, that that sounds like that sounds like a really, really base form of objectivism, doesn't it? I don't yeah. have an objection. It's just objective. Objective. Yes. Both. Yeah. <laughs> I'm objective and well, objective. Well, the, the reason I, I, I used to really be into objectivism a lot, but in the end, it failed for me. I, I would I would have to say that I, I would hope it fails similarly for other people because <laughs> um, I, I don't think it's possible for human mind to think like that for a long period without, I without pain. I I have lived that way for quite a while, as a matter of fact. Uh, I I I wouldn't call myself a strict objectionist. Objectivist. Anyway, for people like Matt. Uh, who don't know what objectivism is, go ahead and give a brief explanation. Objectivism is just looking at something with a value-free mindset. Okay, so Matt knows what objectivism is. Well, I wasn't speaking. I was talking about objectivism, which is probably the opposite of 
<laughs> okay. Okay. So please, let's please explain. Then. Yeah. What, which okay. objectivism are we talking about? I'm, I'm, t- I'm talking about Randian objectivism, which is you know using reason Randian. and logic. Yeah, I'm Rand. No, I know. I get you're saying. It's like saying Randian. Yeah, I know. I'm a, I, I, I was a Randroid back in the day, but uh, yeah, the the idea is to have a set of values, and everything you do is basically defined by your values. You eschew group affiliation, collective identity. Uh, whimsical things, emotion. You don't use those at all in your in your, in your judgments. You use only your values. So which in, in the objectivist case, on your reality here. Yes. Which in objectivism uh, or you know, typical objectivism, you know, you have the reason, the the self interest, the rational self interest, and things like that. That's 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 the objectivism. If, I, if there was another, tw- if there was another that. way of using that word, I was aware of it. I apologize. So, okay, there's something that I think that's been left highly untouched here. Um, there's a large group of people that land in the, we're not going to define it, but say evolutionist category. Over here on this side of the table, we have the creationist category. That's basically the two breakdowns. Either there's a God, it's base level, either there's God, or there's no God. Okay? So, with that said, most creationists are going to say that you are created, that humans are created in the image of God. Therefore, they find their identity with that relationship, and then because we're mirrored after someone who enjoys relationship, that's why we as humans enjoy being in groups with other people. And then, because of that, our changes that we have here are because we're meant to be creative, because we're made in that image of a God who is creative, versus us trying to just morph into some different species or advanced technological being. Because the two issues are one says that you're changing try to become something else. One says you're changing because you're built to be creative. There's a fundamental difference there. And like, neither one can be scientifically proven at this point. Um, I'm not so sure about that. But, yeah. Well, to today. It's, it's very, you know, I, I get what you're saying, and there's all of the ball of wax, you know, trying to disprove God. It's all over um, their gumball. Yeah, their gumball. Um, yeah, let's not touch on that topic. <laughs> well, no, but it's an interesting idea, and we've got six minutes before I have to leave, so uh, let's try and cover it now. Um, okay. The idea of, of the purpose of creativity, and is creativity to be different, or to grow and change, and to become better? Exactly. Um, I would argue the former, because things that are creative do not always enhance quality, being a subjective uh, amount of thing. I think you can have objective quality. But that's another, that's a different subject, too. So, uh, we, I, I, I disagree. Um, <laughs> but you, you have an inherent quality, supposedly, of, of quality of life, quality of, of whatever, and I don't think creative things necessarily improve that, but they can change it. I think that, uh, like, kind of like what Matt was saying, the, the earlier group, is that, you know, change is, is something, creativity is not something that is necessarily meant to improve. It's a, it could be an awesome byproduct of it, that being improvement. But... To use a rather vulgar example, Piss Christ is a piece of art that is a photograph of a crucifix submerged in a jar of the photographer's um, urine. It's very interesting. Wow. Have you ever heard of this? No. It's very, very interesting. It's a very, looking, it's very interesting. Is that, I, I say that as art. I don't say it's good, but that's my opinion. And I think that don't mean squat. Um, no cares. That's good. I'm glad to hear it, man. Um, What's that about penguins? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you say futility earlier? Oh, yeah. Uh, For <laughs> um, but th- that is an artistic endeavor. I don't think, and it was a creative endeavor. Did it, did it benefit society? 
who knows, I can't judge that fact. I don't like it, I don't want to hang it on my wall, so I don't. Um, but it's different, and it's new, and it's creative, and I appreciate that. I appreciate creativity in all of its forms, whether or not I find it aesthetically beautiful, or aesthetically worthwhile, or even good for the species. And I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'm for, I consider myself from the creationist group, and say, mm -hmm. in my mind, I would say, God has given us free will, therefore our creativity can be good or bad. And I come down on the side of saying that there's absolute morality, so therefore that could be either good or bad. And if it defames God, then it's therefore bad. But that's because of my core values. Yeah. I understand that, and other people can see that differently. But I still think it comes down to it's their choice to either follow this path or follow this path. Regardless of whether or not what they believe, they cannot escape the fact that they're created to be human. And be creative after the creative. No, they get to part, they get to choose how to use that the way they want to. For my part, for my part, I I don't think there's a purpose or reason for creativity. It's something that people do. It's something that you evolved to do. <laughs> Some people are not trying to advance their technological. We, the, the, the reason so the that humanity as a whole engages in just about everything we do is not for you know for the, the sake for we don't we do not make art for the sake of art. We do not do science for the sake of science. No, no. There's a naked woman outside Actually, my hall, my residence hall over at Gordon. Uh, it's art for the sake of art. There, we, there's we no do what point we behind do. that. And we, uh, we are capable of deluding ourselves into seeing some deeper reasoning and everything. But I think that, really, it's just a function of the way we evolve. And it's a function of our neural architecture to want to impress people by being artists, to make more technology, because technology makes our tribe fruitful. And we ascribe emotional. But that's making that inherent betterness that I talked about. That is that is achieving that inherent betterness. Yes, but we don't do it for any particular reason. And you just said we do the, it the, the inclination. The inclination to be creative in the first place is not a function of our beliefs or our, our minds. It's a function of the way our brain grew. And, and later we can we can see ourselves as acting in some way, uh, you know, doing doing something because we enjoy it. But those are those are secondary effects. The reason we're creative is because of our brain, and so I don't find it very fruitful. To... And and the reason that our brain developed that way is presumably because it serves some kind of a biological purpose. It serves an evolutionary purpose. Some yeah. kind of greater good. Well, evolution is the blind duty of God, which means <laughs> you can't really talk about morality and religion. So what we what I do at least is you know I see what my lot is. And I see that it is good, and I enjoy it and make the best of it. Hmm. But, I don't know. It always goes back to evolution. But at the same time, that's kind of depressing. It's yeah. not depressing to me. I think it's wonderful. Because I'd rather, well, no, I don't want to get into the bad argument right now. Yes. That, that, that would uh, not be that kind of fun. Although, maybe, maybe after we turn off the mics, we can yell at Well, I'm out of here, because I got I got. Yeah, work. so we'll go ahead and wind things down now. Um, I don't know. You tell me, y'all. How should we end this one? Uh, well, I, as long as it's not depressing, I'm okay with it. Okay. We should, um, uh, we should go on the internet and get a unicorn chaser. This is a brand of a unicorn chaser. No. I love unicorns. Who doesn't? We'll go ahead and wrap things up this week. We'll be back again with uh, Dr. Mark Webb on the next episode. Talking some problem of evil and uh, maybe some education. We'll just see where we go. So, thank you for listening. Straight to the moon. <laughs> Straight to the moon. See you all next time on Bad Philosophy.
My mother said, well, there are no penguins in this episode. I don't get it. Does your mom actually listen to this? She does. No, seriously. That's Yeah, she, she programmed a punch card. Which I still think they should show. It's just so we know what it is. Yeah, that's a historical aspect. Other than like looking at something in a museum, I don't even know how to do that. I, I don't know what a punch card does. Like I realize there's there's holes in it, and